The very warm welcome uh, to St. Mary's tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us. Can I get you to keep your Bibles open to that page? Uh, and if you've already lost your page, now mine, it's page 989. Page 989, uh, and we're looking at Matthew 25, verses 14 uh, to uh, 20, uh, 30, rather. Um, in the bulletin, you have a very rudimentary outline, but in the center page of the bulletin, there is a little outline there. Uh, if you'd like to have that open, that's okay as well. Uh, but most importantly, Matthew 25. And if we've all got that, then I will lead us in prayer, and we can begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have been speaking to us uh, by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, as we've read and sung it. Uh, we pray now, Lord, that as we uh, come to consider this passage, that you will be at work among us. Uh, we pray that your Spirit will strengthen me to preach your Word rightly in his power. Uh, and may he work in our hearts. Uh, may he help us to love Jesus uh, and to serve him actively uh, with all of our lives. So we commit this time to you. Please, please, Father, would you work among us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The season of Advent is a season of, season of anticipation and waiting, isn't it? We are waiting to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the first coming of Christ. But more importantly, we are anticipating the second coming of Christ. Advent reminds us that we're expecting His coming and waiting for Him. This year, our Advent sermons are looking at a series of parables that Jesus told us to help us prepare for His second coming. Now, back in Matthew 24, He described His second coming, and He told us in verse 36 of 24 that concerning that day and hour, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And He warned us in verse 44, Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so two weeks ago, when we looked at that passage, the question was asked, would you be ready for him if he came today? And then we saw in verses 45 onwards of chapter 24 that the servant who is ready is a servant who is serving him. But we are warned against another kind of servant, a servant who abuses his position. A servant who beats his fellow servants. A servant who eats and drinks with drunkards. That is, who's actively doing things for his own gain against his master's interests. He is not ready for his master's return. And this servant, Jesus said, will be punished. He'll be excluded from the kingdom. He'll be put with the hypocrites where, in verse 51, it says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal suffering and regret. Jesus wants his servants to be ready when he comes. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in, in chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. And there again, we saw the need to be prepared. And we need to be prepared for a protracted delay in the coming of Jesus. Because remember, in that parable, the bridegroom took a long time to come. And the wise virgins who had extra oil were able to endure the wait. But the foolish ones, though they were initially ready, could not last. And they were excluded from the marriage feast. We need to be ready, not just today, but in the long term. And we need to make wise decisions today that will help us endure. So that whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or he comes back in a thousand years, we will be ready for him when he comes. As Jesus says in chapter 25, verse 13, Watch therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour. But what does it mean to be ready? How do we prepare? Well, in our parable today, Jesus tells us that when he comes back, he wants to see that we have been actively serving him. He wants to see that we have been actively serving him. And we should do that in a way that is consistent with his character. And he tells us that through this parable which we're looking at this evening. Our people call this the parable of the talents. In fact, that's the heading our translators have given us in our church Bibles. Nothing wrong with that in itself, but the problem is that many people see the word talents here and automatically think talents in the English sense of the word, which you can't blame anyone, huh? because that's the, that's the word in English. And the translation is confusing. Uh, if you look at dictionary.com, the English word talent refers to special natural ability or aptitude. Like some people got a talent for foreign languages, some people got a talent for music, some people got a talent for maths. That means they're good at those things. But if I take it that way, then I will think that the story is telling me I need to learn to speak more foreign languages or to, 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 to pick up another musical instrument or, or do harder and harder maths so that God will be pleased. And if I don't use my talents, then God will be upset. So I must use my talents the best I can and make more and more of them. I must use the talent, I must double it, rather than letting it rot and waste away. Now the problem is, that is not what the word talent means in this passage. If you go to verse 15, where you see the word talent there, you see a little number 7 beside that word. So you go down to footnote 7 at the bottom of the page. It's very small, you may or may not be able to read it. But there it is, it says, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. That's, that's the meaning of the word talent. It's not the English word talents in the English sense, it's the Greek word talenton, which is actually a, a unit of money. This parable is still not telling us to make more money with the capital that we've been given either. This, Jesus is telling us the story to, to make a point. So let's look at the parable in its context very carefully. Let's see what Jesus is saying to his disciples and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. In the story, the master goes away and he entrusts his servants with his assets. Uh, to one in verse 15, he gives five talents. Or to make it easier for us, 500,000 ringgit. Right, to another, two talents or 200,000 ringgit. And to another, one talent, 100,000 ringgit, each according to his ability. And then he goes. The one who has five talents goes and trades them and makes five more. So now he has a million ringgit. The one with two talents trades them, makes two more. So now he has 400,000 ringgit. But in verse 18, the one who has one talent goes and, and digs a hole and hides the master's money. Eventually the master returns and he calls his servants to settle accounts. And the one who's given five talents says in verse 20, Master, you have delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. And the master says to him in verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one with the two talents comes forward in verse 22. And he says, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I've made two talents more. And 
the master says exactly the same thing to him as he said to the first servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then finally, the one who had received one talent comes forward in verse 24. And he makes a little speech. Master, he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. The master is very upset. He scolds the servant. Verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, that at my coming I should receive what was my own with interest. And then he gives the orders. The lazy servant is to lose his talent. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For, verse 29, to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But that's not the worst punishment for the servant. The master continues in verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you notice that the words of judgment used here are the exact same words that were used against the wicked servant back in the last verse of chapter 24? Remember how back there, the master came back to find his servant beating his fellow servants, uh, eating and drinking with drunkards, essentially abusing his position. He, he was actually caught doing bad things when the master returned. This wicked servant today wasn't actively doing bad things. He was, he was just not doing what he was meant to do. Instead of actively serving the master, this wicked servant was content just to remain neutral. Not to do anything bad, but, but also not to do anything good. He didn't go and spend the money. He didn't steal the money. He just hid the money he'd been given so he could return it back to the master. But the master's verdict was that he was a wicked and slothful, that is lazy, servant, and he was cast into the outer darkness just like the servant who beat up the other servants in the other parable. Friends, this parable is here to make a point. Jesus is a little bit like the master, isn't he? Master went away and trusted the money to the servants. He wanted them to work for him until he comes again. Jesus is about to go away and he is going to entrust something to, to his servants, and he will want them to work for him until he comes back again. And the master called his servants to account when he came back, and 
Jesus will call his servants to account when he comes back. The master brought judgment on his return with reward or punishment, and, and Jesus will bring judgment on his return with, with reward or punishment. The master plays a similar function in this parable as Jesus plays in real life. He is the one who goes and trusts the servants with a job, calls them to account when he returns. But there are ways in which the master is not like Jesus. The master is a gangster kind of person. Right? He's a hard man, the servant says, who takes what doesn't belong to him, reaps what he doesn't sow. And the master doesn't deny this. He agrees, but he says, well, if you knew that, you should have gone and got interest on my money. Which, as a Jew, was against the Old Testament law. But would have been perfectly consistent with the character of this master. Jesus is not like that at all. He is righteous and just and gentle and sacrificial. So the master is not like Jesus in every way, certainly not in his character. But the important thing is that the master wanted his servants to do his work actively in a way that was consistent with his character. And Jesus wants his servants to do his work actively in a way that is consistent with his you see, for the disciples who first received this parable, it, Jesus meant it both as an encouragement and a warning. Jesus was going away. But before he went, he would set them to work. He would give them a job. He wanted them to work hard and be productive for him until he returns. Like the master, he wanted them to do whatever it takes within the values that are consistent with his character to achieve this. And what is that task that Jesus would, would leave with his disciples before he left? Well, in just a few pages, we read about that. In the very last words Matthew records in his gospel. You can keep your bookmark in the current page, but turn across to page 995. Because there in Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives his charge to his servants. And he says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see what's happening here? Jesus was leaving. He was about to ascend, but he would entrust to his disciples the task of making disciples of all the nations. Their job was to get the gospel message into all the world, to bring people into the kingdom, and then to teach them to obey all the commands of Jesus, including this one, to make more disciples. And so that would include evangelism, bringing new people in, through the proclamation of the gospel, and then nurturing them by the word of God and prayer into mature believers. And if they did what they were meant to do, then one day the master would come back and he would say to them, well done, 
good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. And there will be given more responsibility, more service in the coming kingdom, things that we can't even begin to imagine. But more importantly, they would enjoy the eternal favor of Jesus. He would invite them to enter into his joy, the joy of their master, for his reward to them is not a mercenary thing. You know, if you do well, you get a bigger mansion in heaven. No, no, no. The, the best thing about their reward is that they share joy with him. For there is nothing more joyful than being with him, delighting in his presence forever. And to everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But imagine what would have happened if they didn't do their work. And the gospel was not proclaimed beyond that 120 believers that were there when, uh, after Jesus ascended. That would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? If those disciples received the, the, the priceless treasures of the kingdom and they took what they were given and did nothing about it, they just kept it to themselves, they wouldn't be commended that They'd be condemned. They would not share their master's joy. They would be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But what about us? Well, friends, we too are in a similar position. We too have been given the gospel. The Great Commission doesn't finish actually until the end of the age. The command to make disciples of Jesus Christ has come down to us. We have inherited the mission of Jesus. We are now responsible to see the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins going out into all the world until Jesus returns. And so we need to be actively striving to see this mission accomplished. We may not be like the servant we read about two weeks ago who abused his position and beat up the other servants. But I wonder if any of us here are in danger of being like the servant who just did nothing with what he'd been given. And if we do nothing with what the master has entrusted to us, we are still disobeying the master. You see, the wicked and lazy servant didn't have a genuine relationship of faith and love with his master. And so he made no effort to advance the master's interest. He was the one who does not have, he did not have what? Did not have that relationship. And so he was relieved of what he did have, the opportunity to serve. And he lost his connection with the master. And friends, if we refuse to serve Christ, we will lose whatever connection we have with Christ. And we will not be saved. Now, this is not saying that we are saved by doing good works. The, the Bible tells us very clearly we are saved by faith in Christ. But true faith will always express itself in service. Even in the story, it is the wicked and lazy servant who does not serve the master. His actions show what's on his heart. He doesn't trust the master. He doesn't love the master, so he doesn't serve the master. His attitude to the master is exposed by his lack of service. A genuine saving faith in our master will always lead to serving him. For true faith 
is seen in its works. And that leads to the worrying question. What does it mean to serve Christ? Do I have to be the kind of person who preaches the gospel to many people and sees many converted? Do I have to leave my job and, and work at the church full time? What if I'm not good at talking to groups? What if I'm not articulate to explain? Well, all of us who are servants of Christ will seek to bring the gospel to others in whatever way we can, wouldn't we? And those of us who have been given the gifts and opportunities to do it full-time, well, should seriously consider it. But Jesus is not saying we have to be in full-time ministry to be a good servant of his. For next week, we will hear Jesus telling us another parable. And he helps us see there that it's not just the people who do the actual preaching and teaching who are involved in this mission to make disciples. Those who support the mission in very practical ways with love and care and food and drinks and clothes and time and money. They are part of the mission as well. If you receive people for the sake of his kingdom, you receive Jesus. And so those who support the mission by supporting his people are just as much part of the mission as those who are at the forefront of the preaching. You are still serving in the same army, whether you are in artillery or in logistics. The goal is still the same to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And whatever division we're in, we are to actively serve the Master in a way that is consistent with His character as we wait for Him to return. We'll look more at the next parable next week. But in the meantime, let us be encouraged by two things. First of all, we can be encouraged by the character of Jesus. But we have seen how different Jesus is from the master in the parable. The master we know was a hard man, harsh, demanding, cruel. He took from others what should have been theirs, reaping where he did not sow, gathering where he did not scatter seed. On the other hand, Jesus came to give. He came as the suffering servant to give his life, to die on the cross, to take the penalty of our sin in our place. He came to generously give us forgiveness and life where we deserve God's wrath. And having risen from the dead, he has given us his spirit who lives and works in us to give us faith and intimacy with him. That is the kind of master we have. And having that kind of master is all the more reason why we should love him and serve him from the heart. Secondly, we can be encouraged by the promise of Jesus. As we serve Jesus, it can be tiring. It can be discouraging, particularly when other people criticize us or misunderstand us. It can be disheartening when we serve and serve and serve and serve and no one seems to appreciate. If that is you, remember who your master is. Remember that He is coming back. Don't compare yourself with others. The servant with five talents and the servant with two talents got exactly the same reward. If you press on in faith, your work will not be overlooked or forgotten. And you will hear Him say what only He can rightly say. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, that is what you want to hear. That is the only approval that really counts. Other people may say all kinds of good things or bad things about you today, all of which will be meaningless in eternity. Even what people say about you at your funeral actually doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the Master will say to you when he returns. Because for all eternity, it's his opinion that actually counts. And you want him and only him to say to you, well done. Last week, we were asked to consider what we can wisely do now so that we can be ready when Jesus comes again if he's delayed. This week, I'd like us to consider another question. Am I actively serving the master? Am I actively serving the master? Not just passively avoiding sin, but actively playing my part in the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus comes back, whether it's tonight or in a thousand years, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servants. Brothers and sisters, let us serve Jesus actively while we wait for his return. Let's bow our heads. And we take a few moments to consider that question. Am I actively serving Jesus while I wait for his return? And if so, what is my next step in active service of him? Heavenly Father, we thank you that unlike the master in the story, Jesus is our master who loves us, who died for us, whom we trust and love and want to serve from the heart. Please help us to be like the faithful servants who served their master actively while he was away and not like the servant who refused to do so. Give us such love for Jesus that we would long to hear him say to us on that last day, well done. And help us to serve him actively, playing our part in the mission to make disciples in any way we can as we wait for the day of his return to enter into his joy. 
we ask this in his name.